Chapter 88 al The Overwhelming Event Have you heard about the overwhelming event? The word hadith means something that is new and, at least in this case, unprecedented, refers to events that have occurred recently or will transpire in the future. The Quran refers to itself as hadith because it is eternally relevant to all places and all times. So then, this unprecedented event, Hadith al-Ghashiyah, will occur in the future. Al-Ghashiyah denotes an all-encompassing phenomenon that will engulf creation. Unlike other natural phenomena that only affect a limited area or certain given time, perhaps this overwhelming event is more akin to gravity because it will affect the entire planet Earth and perhaps the entire Milky Way and whatever lies beyond it. This chapter addresses this incredible phenomenon of the hereafter and that day when our entire world will be impacted on an extraordinary scale. Some faces will be downcast, ashamed and humbled on that day. Like withered flowers, their heads will be lowered because they are in a state of disgrace and ignominy. The verse uses face to signify the locus of our complete inner state and disposition. By the same token, those who are heedless of God have turned their backs toward Him, meaning that their hearts are unaware of Him. Hence, a person's face is an external reflection of one's inner self true character, deeds, and personality. The next verse explains why some people are so despondent on that day. Toiling and Weary Those who rejected God will now realize that all of their efforts have been in vain and will not benefit them at all. As a result, they will be overtaken with humiliation and anguish, just like one who takes a wrong turn and thus never reaches the desired destination. Those who ignore his lordship, the law and order that govern this world, and rebel against him, are similar to those who live in a country inhabited by defiant people who neither respect nor honor its laws. What is the destiny of those who violate, ignore, and trivialize kufr, his lordship? And what kind of recompense should they expect? The Quran impresses upon us that the cumulative effort of our sins will ultimately cover and envelop us, just like a cancerous tumor that, once metastasized, spreads throughout the body and overwhelms its organs, loathsome deeds overpower the sinners and push them closer to hell. Roasting in a Blazing Fire People who have wasted their life or spent it oppressing and dominating others are unaware that they will be subjected to a most grievous fire. Note here that fire is in the indefinite form without being prefixed by the because the Quran is using metaphorical as opposed to specific language to describe these people's condition just as it does not detail the nature of the reward to be bestowed upon the dwellers of paradise. 
the Quran uses metaphorical and allegorical language to hint at the nature of paradise and hell, albeit to a very limited extent. Since we have not yet passed into the next world, we can only acquire an extremely limited understanding of its nature via symbolic language. Most of the remaining verses are metaphorical in nature and presented in such a way to the Prophet's contemporaries so that they could relate to them. Given to drink from a boiling spring. The verb tusqa, given to drink, is a passive form which means that the subject or agent is unknown. Those who sin freely, thereby corrupting and poisoning their being and generating their internal fire, will end up in the fire. By the same token, those who eat junk food and thus ignore the allowed daily allowance of sugar, animal fat, and so on, will damage their health and bodies. The same applies to those who are not careful about what they feed their souls. The Quran utilizes these metaphors to emphasize that our actions are similar to running springs from which we drink. Our sins turn them into toxic, boiling springs that will eventually burn us. There will be no food for them but bitter thorn. The only food available to such a person is dariya, which contains no benefit. The next verse explains the nature of this plant. That neither nourishes, fattens, nor lessens the pangs of hunger. Food is consumed to nurture the body and promote its growth. Some foods provide no nutritional value, fatten, but at least satiate one's hunger. But the food described here neither satiates nor nurtures. The word fat here does not mean gaining weight, but rather refers to healthy and beneficial foods that build up one's character, soul, and spirit. This food not only failed to nurture their souls and characters, for it was only a mirage and therefore hollow, but also failed to meet their worldly needs. So if someone has spent a lifetime consuming toxins from the spring, what should we expect? We cannot expect to live one way in this world and another way in the hereafter. As a matter of fact, given that the hereafter is the conclusion of our worldly lives, we are preparing ourselves as well as shaping our futures and fates every day that we are alive, just as students start to prepare themselves for the final exam on the first day of class. Some faces, on that day, will be blissful. On that day, some faces will be radiating with a blessedness, na'ima, that is intrinsic and therefore permanent. Benevolent people glow with joy and kindness due to their virtuous inner self, which is built upon a noble character and good deeds. Their blessed state is a logical outcome of how they lived. They are similar to seeds that were nurtured and cared for and, in turn, engendered a better generation. Well pleased with their striving and endeavor. This verse contrasts the condition of the blessed ones, 
who on that day are happy with their condition and content with the fruit of their deeds in this life, in contrast to those with toiling and weary in verse 3. Upon inspection, one may realize that strive, sa'a, which appears in this verse, carries a special weight in the Quran. This striving does not pertain to those daily routine activities that preoccupy us, but to those that we consciously undertake and perform with strong determination, conviction, and true intention. Residing in a Lofty Garden Imagine the vast difference between the conditions of such people with those mentioned in verse 5, given to drink from a boiling spring. The adjective aliya, used here metaphorically, describes the sublime, lofty condition and position that the blessed people possess, where they will not hear vain and nonsensical talk. Those who kept away from nonsensical and useless talk in this world will not be subjected to it in the hereafter. The Quran states numerous times that upright and principled people exercise self-control and turn away from such situations. If somebody speaks or treats them in an unpleasant fashion, they remain silent, do not reciprocate in kind, and just go on their way with dignity. The Quran cites this as one of the characteristics of believers, because goal-oriented people avoid frivolous deeds. There will be a flowing spring there. The meaning of spring is not confined to a flowing spring of water. Here, jariya is used as a metaphor to indicate that flowing is an intrinsic quality of this kind of spring, in contrast to the verb tajri, which connotes a flow that is not inherent. In other words, altruism flows from some people just like a spring that nourishes whatever it waters. These fountainheads of knowledge, compassion, etiquette, and benevolence encourage people to strive to undertake good deeds. Society will benefit from their creative and constructive undertakings, and, hence, their beings resemble the flowing springs found in the hereafter by following the path created by their conscious pursuit of good deeds in this world. There will be elevated couches there. At the time of the Quranic revelation, wealthy and high-ranking persons customarily sat on high couches. Thus, this metaphor would resonate well with the mindset of the Prophet's time, for they considered sitting upon such furniture pleasing and desirable. The Quran uses the analogy of elevated couches to highlight the lofty position that such people will have in the hereafter. As it does not behoove believers to put themselves in disgraceful situations, they should seek to elevate their status by striving after honorable and lofty goals. And goblets set out. And goblets set out. Each person's goblet is filled in due proportion, mawdu'a, on the basis of what he or she has earned in this life. Likewise, 
chapter 76, verse 16, points out that each person will measure out the vessel that is in keeping with his or her conduct in this temporal life, and it figuratively describes those goblets as being made of silver or crystal. However, there is no allusion to wine, even though goblet is used. Mystics use wine, allegorically, in their writings, but we should not become so fixated upon its exoteric meaning that we ignore its intended esoteric meaning. And cushions set in rows. Namarq means cushions, something to rely on and receive support. Thus, this verse is addressing the condition of people who stood for truth and justice and relied only upon God. As a result, in the hereafter, they will stand in ranks according to their positions and continue their spiritual growth and perfection. And rich carpets spread out. Zarabi denotes a decorative piece spread out under one's feet. Of course our deeds in this life will determine its size. This verse allegorically explains that our portion of rewards and punishments in the hereafter is determined by what we did in this life. This chapter's first 16 verses address humanity's future and what awaits it in the hereafter. It uses metaphorical language to impress upon people that an enormous event beyond their comprehension will occur at an unknown time and split humanity into two distinct groups, those who destroyed themselves and, as a result, will be humiliated and deprived, and those who will be blissfully euphoric due to what they have sent ahead. Will they not consider the camels? how they were created. The Quran advises those who do not believe in what it says to pay attention to how camels are created, for they were the most highly prized assets of the Prophet's contemporaries. Survival would have been impossible in the desert's dry and harsh climate without camels. They are equipped with wide padded feet that can grip the sand, spring-like necks that allows them to sit with ease and humps to store fat and water. They are truly a marvel of creation for being able to survive for weeks on thorns and shrubs. Some people criticize the Quran for using a language tailored to the Arabs. But communication is only effective when the spoken language takes into account the cultural norms and idiosyncrasies of the people it is trying to reach. This verse is a good example of this endeavor, for it speaks to the Arabs in their own cultural context and asks them, Why don't you look at the camel you are riding and wonder who made it so suitable for this particular environment? And the sky, how it is raised high. Observe the elevated sky above your head, which contain millions of galaxies, each of which contains millions of stars. All of them are just a tiny part of the vast universe that modern telescopes and other instruments have enabled us to discover. 
The question to those who observe the heavens is, why do you not wonder about such miraculous things? And the mountains, how they are firmly fixed. Now, gaze upon earth. Have you ever wondered how mountains are firmly established and act as anchors that peg the earth? In its absence, the continents would be floating on water. Our planet's solid outer layer is very thin. If we think of earth as an apple, then its outer layer is as thin as the apple's skin in comparison with earth's thick inner molten part. And earth, how it is spread out. And finally, it asks the Arabs to reflect upon the land spread out around them. The previous four verses remind the readers of four indispensable elements, namely a means of transportation, the sky, the mountains, and earth. Perhaps if the Quran were revealed today, it would refer to the airplane to remind us that the same law and natural order governing the atmosphere also permits the airplane to fly at a high speed despite its enormous weight. The next verses inform the Prophet of what he should do if people reject or ignore his teachings. So, remind them, O Muhammad, your only task is to be a reminder. As humans are weak and forgetful, God instructs the Prophet to awaken them by reminding them, as opposed to forcing them, to become aware of their surroundings. The particle innama emphasizes that this is his sole function. Elsewhere, the Quran compares his invitation to spread his path to a brilliant light that serves as a guide along the way. You are not placed over them as a controller. The Prophet was not given any authority or dominance over his people, and thus his mission was the exact opposite of those contemporary Islamist governments that try to force salvation down the throats of their subjects. Such governments believe falsely that their power can make their subjects surrender and accept their prescribed doctrine as a way of life. In reality, Nothing is farther from the truth, for while some people may accept it willingly, the majority readily learns to conceal its true beliefs, change its color or colors, like a chameleon, and adapt. In other words, such governments push their people to engage in ostentatious displays, ria, of piety, and thereby become mired in hypocrisy, pretension, and deception. As for him who rejects and turns away, those who ignore the Prophet's warnings and turn away from the truth. God will punish him with the greatest torment. God rewards and punishes people based upon what they have done. Torment is the natural consequence of denying the truth. In other words, 
his system of natural law and order mandates that those who ignore the Prophet's warnings will taste the most grievous torment. The presence of the particle fa at the beginning of verse provides this cause and effect linkage. Undoubtedly, it is to us that they will return. They will all return to God because nothing exists outside of His dominion. We are all on a journey and our final destination is God. And surely upon us is their reckoning. Unlike a government that monitors its subjects and then rewards or punishes them accordingly, the Prophet was told in very clear terms that such affairs belong only to God. Quran informs the people that he was not sent to impose religious obligations and proclaims that prophets are forbidden to compel people to anything against their will or to undertake burdensome tasks. Of course, the situation is different with regards to civil matters. For example, one who has violated another's right must be prosecuted so that the victim's right is restored. However, as the relationship between a person and God pertains to the heart, no one has the right to interfere. 